Welcome to Slip Angle. Uh, it's another show on the new board, and this time I am talking to Mr. James Houghton, uh, direct from Kitchener, Canada. Hey, buddy. Hey. How are you doing, Abe? Not too bad. How are you? Uh, we're trapped. We're trapped in the north, and it makes me sad. I think it's safer up there. So... Uh, the United States had its uh, peak number of cases or its highest number of cases yesterday since all of this happened. So it's it's not getting better down here. Yeah, and we we keep on going uh, the lowest we've had kind of for the last few months every every day. So we're we're down around I think we're down sub three hundred new cases per day right now. That's so, uh, fantastic. Hopefully, I don't know. I don't know. I don't pretend to know what the answer to anything is. You know, I'm just kind of, we're just up here being as safe as we can, wear a mask. If a mask doesn't help, whatever. If it does, great. You know, there's lots of people arguing on Facebook about all this stuff. So uh, the penalty to wearing a mask is not very high. So I'll just keep I, I read uh, an analogy I saw on Facebook that kind of resonated with me. It was uh, if, if a person on the street uh, walks up to you and they're not wearing pants and they decide to take a leak, uh, it might get all over you. Um, if, if you're not wearing pants, it's definitely going to get on all over you. Uh, but if you're both wearing pants, it'll just get on them. And uh, that, that sticks to me. Yeah. So we'll just keep doing our thing. I mean, we've, got, we've still been going to a few events and stuff like that. But I, I park in the back 50 and, uh, you know, I just go up with uh, my parents and if Mitch and, and uh, Alberto or Mitch and Alberto and Todd come, uh, they'd be just driving themselves because they've, you know, they're kind of having, they have their own circle. So we just try to be, do everything that we can do and still have a bit of fun. So how have you, uh, you been, you've been going to a few events. Yeah. So we've been going out doing some test events and some time attacks. So we've been to a couple of Northern speed events and, uh, and an Ontario time attack event and, uh, the good old GLTC car does better than it probably should in time attack events because uh, we're not limited to tires when we go to any of those events. So we've got some old 315 A7s um, from the from the front of the Integra that we're laying around. Quite a few heat cycles on them, but uh, man, that car is rowdy with the 315 A7 on the front. So uh, I don't remember the details. You um, you made some adjustments. So you've got a separate spec from GLTC, right? You've got uh, you were calling it GLTC X or something? So we're working on GLTC X right now. We've got a uh, motor at the machine shop, um, and uh, we've got a piece of Lexan to make our rear spoiler a little bit higher, uh, and we're going to be doing an actual splitter with a splitter blade and some professional awesomeness users in it. Keep it simple. Uh, but we're going to try to make it so it's really easy to go back and forth between the two. Um, just because stuff that we're running in up here doesn't really have any rules anyway so why not go a little bit faster if it's not going to take much money or work sure yeah so uh we're pretty excited about that for and then and then the tires of course so the tires we've been running um the big old figures from the from the integra so that's been fun but that is so far the only change that we've made but for this weekend we're going to have the tires and the rear spoiler and then for next weekend we should have uh, the tires and the rear spoiler and the splitter with the diffusers. And then hopefully for the event after that, we'll have the rotor in there too as well. That'll be great. So uh, this podcast is going to be, I don't know how long it's going to be, but I think you have some ideas. So the, uh, the, the story for this show is going to be what James and Abe think is the best car for each grid life class. Because you have some ideas. I have, I have some ideas, and I think that my ideas can quite easily differ from uh, from other people's ideas. Um, and your opinion always means that there's a Corvette for every class. Uh, I'll argue that there's a Corvette for every class that doesn't have a tire with me. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting point, because maybe we should start with Unlimited, because that's the most familiar. Um, but I... I at the moment, I think that uh, you and Will are good examples of working around um, kind of, I don't want to say a design flaw, but you're, 
you're exceeding the mechanical capability of the packaging and equipment uh, within the car, right? So you have you have engines that are robust, um, but they're robust because they've been sleeved and you've got built engines and it it's it's like cumbersome to build that. And then you have uh, transmissions that can't Sorry. deal with that power I, 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 Hello? Sorry, I just I just lost you there for about ten seconds. Eh? Oh shoot! Um, Sorry, so you've that got, was on my end though, not on yours. Well, um, but you've got like you and Will have mechanical capability that exceeds what the initial design was, probably by like five times. Um, and so you're you're working around problems where you have a gearbox that you have to figure out, and you have an engine that you have to figure out. Um, my my argument for an unlimited car that is uh, like a turbo B, V8 as an example, um, it's easier because the equipment is heavier duty. Would you agree? Uh, I can see that, and that does that that aligns with what I would say would be the car that I would build. You know, when you're talking about what you'd build for unlimited time attack, to me you can hardly even have a budget because unlimited time attack gets so out of hand. You might as well talk about no, no real budget. And I'm not talking about, you know, a Lambo or, or you know, buying a Bugatti Veyron or something like that. They wouldn't uh, win. But I would What's that? They wouldn't win. No. Uh, I would build a C6 Corvette Z06, and I would figure out, I would talk to whoever engine builders that I'd have to talk to because... Um, in our world, not a lot of people have made more than like 650 wheel um, naturally aspirated out of these big, like Ferris and Jeremy, out of these big 460 cubic inch motors. Uh, but there's there's drag racers, and you know in NASCAR they make a lot. And I would figure out how we have to what we have to do to make an NA 1,000 horsepower uh, Z06. Yeah. But then, but then I love all wheel drive for an unlimited class car, especially with, you know, some of the tracks that we run. Um, but because I'm not putting all the weight of a turbo system in, and because people like, you know, Sasha are figuring out this, this hybrid stuff so well right now, uh, I would want one electric motor per front wheel in the front to make it all-wheel drive. Okay. Because I figure you're going to save a ton of weight, not having two turbos, two manifolds, intercooler, wastegates, all this kind of stuff. You're... Your cooling system can be more simplified if it's an NA motor. Um, so then I would put some of that weight back into it with a hybrid system for the front. And if, if you were, I don't know, I don't know how it works enough. I don't know if you could add to that 1,000 horsepower kind of through the front wheels, or if you clutch it out once you're at a certain speed. But I would want to use it for you know traction coming out of a low speed corner. Um, and I think that a C6 uh, Z06 is just an amazing uh, chassis for a race car. They're so light. light. Um, I think that you could use a lot of the, the theories and the design behind the C6R, um, the race car. And uh, I like that you can run a really tall tire on them. And I think that a tall tire is seriously underrated in time attack. And I think that um, very, very few cars run heights of tires like what they do in pro racing sure and uh you know that would be one thing that i would want to be running like even taller than than some of the corvettes are running now because i think in, in pro racing those dtlm corvettes are running like a 710 height rear tire which is like 28 inches tall and to me um you know you're you can only put so wide of a tire on within reason but then you start going taller and you're making that contact pass longer as well as wider and Got it. Well, I've also like, I've always thought it would be cool to start with one of the lightest chassis you could get where like a Lotus Elise seems like a natural fit, but I think you run into the same problem that you do with the front wheel drive cars, which is packaging, right? You have a small engine compartment and a small area for a transmission and like those things, if you're talking about making a thousand horsepower, constrain you in, in what you can do. So maybe you can work around it, but I think it's probably a lot more work. And I want more wheelbase than that if I'm going to try to go uh, 114 or 112 at Road Atlanta. 
So, um, you know, I'm, I'm in all of these like, uh, grid life related class chats and something that came up in the street mod group, which is known as the ice cream delivery class, um, is, is, uh, just how fast, like the, the pro racing IMSA cars are relative to the unlimited stuff. Um, and they do it so easily. And I think, um, you know, you can't ignore how much that money gets used to, to make the cars both fast and reliable. And I, I don't know that there's any unlimited class budget that could, could try and get to that point. And, and I'll, I'll counter that about their easy. Okay. So they do a ton of, um, engineering before, you know, they have a ton of notes from previous events. Uh, they have a ton of engineering and engineers and, you know, data analysts. And they, they're such a big team. They are so close when they get to the track already with their setup. Their drivers are so close with their setup. And the one big thing that I think is absolutely huge is almost every one of those pro race teams have two cars and multiple drivers per car. So now you're dealing with data, driving data from so many drivers driving the same, basically the same car. And I think that if you started taking, you know, all the unlimited class guys and all the fastest track mod guys or whatever in, in grid life and started putting them in the same, same car, I think that it would be insane of what they'd start figuring out that can be done. And sure. even just with the chassis setup, the driving, the whole aspect of it. So Yeah, but I think what, that what unlimited car could even turn that many laps? I don't know of any. None. So this is the thing. So if you gave uh, 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 myself, let's say, uh, a GTLM Corvette with a base setup, and you know, and one set of tires for the weekend, and no engineer, and no driver coach, and no none of those people, I'd be interested to see how far off the pace it would be because I bet you it would be quite significantly off the pace. Sure. Um, so I think that the, you know, people compare that. Uh, actually, I was talking to Matt Drews about it uh, a couple of days ago, but and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus or anything like that. But I just think that people see this, and Porsche have been racing 911s for what uh, 60 years now? Forever, yeah. Five years. There's probably been, uh, I would guess that there's been over a trillion dollars spent on racing Porsche 911s in 55 years. I'd, like yeah, total, yeah, probably. <laughs> So they never forget any of that data. Like stuff that we're learning in the TSX right now is translatable to the Integra. Stuff that we learned in the Integra 10 years ago is translatable to the TSX. Like everything is knowledge. So when you have, you know, and same with Corvettes, right? 60 years of Corvette racing. When you have a 60-year data pool, um, that that is special. And that never goes away. And I think that's why, you know, some of the people that keep on sticking around in time attack just keep on getting better and better and better um, because they don't forget all those things they've learned. You know, oftentimes you're not going to keep on having the same problem. In time attack, we see that have just a problem possible. But okay, so you're saying, um, you know, you don't lose the knowledge you gain even though the chassis evolves, right? It's We've got 60 years worth of Porsche engineering and development that has led to, you know, what the current uh, um, uh, IMSA, you know, cars are. Exactly. And, I, you know, I, I look at that kind of translating into some of the people that have been around Time Attack for longer. Um, and I think Andy and those guys used to break cranks on the Evo. And they found a crank that doesn't break anymore. Well, that's kind of checked off, right? Right. Um, you know, there was a bunch of stuff that we were struggling with in the Integra. I can't even think of one of them off of it, you know. And But, you know, you keep on figuring these things out and you move on. You know, we used to struggle with, example, for rub strips. We were burning up rub strips all the time until we, um, you know, Simtech built these giant, 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 big, thick titanium rub strips. And now we've used them for the whole season last year. Um on the front wing of the Integra, and they're probably good to go for another season still. And it's like, it's just nice to not have to be fiddling with that when you want to be analyzing that data or fixing other problems or just having a rest to rest your mind and your soul in between sessions, right? Right. 
think that the, that 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 knowledge is you know almost invaluable, and I think that that's one of the reasons why um, these cars just continue to get faster and faster, and just the sheer amount of people that are on that team. I just think about as our team has kind of expanded over the years, and you know more smart people have been helping us um, with the Integra and the TSX and everything now. You know, you get to the point where a new setup works better and better kind of first time out to the point of the TSX, right? You know, yeah, right. One little box in the first weekend, but mostly the thing just worked and worked great. So and, uh, that's always going to be the case. We, uh, I think we agree that in the unlimited level, a lightweight chassis like the C6 is probably best. I think that I think also so. applies to track mod, but what do you think? I do. I do, and I would let that trickle down to track mod and be because again, track mod don't have they don't have tire rules, and I think that uh, you know a Corvette uh, in unlimited and in track mod can be very light with those rules. I think in street mod it starts to struggle being as light as it needs to be for a 285 tire. Yeah. So in track mod, I would kind of agree, same type of thing. Um, I think that the the turbo setup on on Ferris's car is fantastic. Oh man, it's um, so fast! I think that when you have V8, though, I think that the you know the look at the option of being NA is is a cool thing as well. Um, you know, but obviously, as a, a Garrett sponsored driver and stuff like that, I think that what you can do with um, a turbocharger is unbelievable, especially on smaller displacement motors. Um, but when you have a car that came with a V8 from the factory. It would be interesting to explore. Could you make eight, nine hundred wheel horsepower? Um, well, you're, you're a fan of NASCAR. What do the current NASCARs make? Ish. They've, they've turned those cars down a lot over the last years because they think that people like watching pack racing, and I hate pack racing. Um, so they keep on turning them down every year. But about, I don't know, five or six years ago or something like that, they were 900 horsepower out of 358 cubic inches. Okay, and and they're running at uh, 100% throttle for three or four hours, right? Well, the the really high horsepower ones don't usually run 100% throttle because they run, like if they were to run Daytona or Talladega, that would be a restrictor plate race, and they turn them down and turn the RPMs down too. But even still, a, a large percentage of their life is ran for hours and hours like that. So, yeah, and back then... Uh, they were revving them 10,000 RPMs. And I think since then they've turned the RPMs down a little bit as well. But at their peak a few years ago, they were like 900 horsepower, 10,000 RPM, push rod motor, uh, 358 cubic inches. That's so wild. you think of like the, you know, um, Ferris's and Jeremy's car at 460 cubic inches. With the right combination in there, um, what is possible? Well, I mean, so to get that to get that amount of power out of uh, you know sub four hundred cubic inch motor, I mean, you have to have extraordinary fuel, and you have to have uh, an incredibly high compression ratio, right? Like, what else is there? Yeah, I'm not sure, and I don't know that the fuel is as crazy in NASCAR as you think. I'm not sure exactly, but I, I'm pretty sure that they don't run super, super, super exotic stuff. Um, so, but you're probably right. It's probably super high compression. And revs. You need a lot of revs. Yeah, a lot of revs, a lot of compression, a lot of camshafts. So, but when you go down the next class and the next class after that, that's, in my opinion, where things get a little crazy. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'm uh, after after this call. I'm going to sit down and try and write a primer for Autobahn this weekend. you know, it, it kind of goes by year. There's, um, there is one class that has some of, uh, there's one class that stands out that has better competition than the rest. And I, I believe that this is the year for, um, street mod. Um, I, I agree hundred I think last year we saw, you know, just incredible competition in track mod, um, also in street, but incredible competition in track mod where there were, three or four drivers that had a legitimate chance of winning any one event and winning the season overall. And uh, this year in street mod, I, I would say that we have that in spades. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be really wild to see what that record goes down to this weekend. As long as you guys have 
uh, well, I mean, you know, I don't know how much he paid attention to what was going on at Gingerman a couple weekends ago, but uh, when we were there in October, um, Dewey and Alex Moss went back and forth uh, trading fastest times and records for, you know, street mod ever at Gingerman. And I think they finished at like a 134.0, which is faster than I ever expected anyone to go in street mod. And uh, they, they come back in June at this event, which is the first event back at Gingerman for most people. And that time that they set in October wouldn't have been fast enough to put them on the podium. It's so impressive. It's so wild. It's, and I, I think that everyone kind of expected to ja- uh, Jackie to have it in the bag and to see both um, Moss and uh, who, was, who else was it? Shoot. Ronnie. 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 Ronnie was so fast. I didn't know. I love Ronnie, and I knew he could drive, but I didn't know that he could drive like that. To bust that out out of nowhere, I was so impressed. Well, I, I think for, for years he's been fighting the car, and um, unlike years prior, he had uh, committed a bunch of time to getting the car sorted and getting it right, and he, he, he rebuilt every system on the car, and it, it just works. And I think that, you know, I think that sometimes we don't get to see his driving because he's so great at supporting all of his people at the track all the time. You know, he brings a car to the track, Andy's car, the diff brakes, pull the diff out of my car, put it in yours, no problem. And I think that that's just fantastic, but I think that that's something that we haven't always got to see his true potential because of that. Yeah, and I, I think at the moment he's in love with his car, and is, as uh, rightly so as he should be. Um, okay, so this weekend, uh, drivers that I know are coming in Street Mod are Moss and Sean Krebsback, who is insanely fast and is, is coming uh, with a fresh build. It's a 2.2, and I think he's got what, a G25660, I think that's right. That is correct. That is correct. I just talked to him the other night. Uh, and on Ronnie's dyno, he's making like 550 horsepower, which is a ton. It's like a ton. Um, I think on a dyno jet, that's easily over 600. Yeah, Ronnie's dyno is a big-time heartbreaker. So when you're making that kind of power there, that thing is going to be rowdy. So, and, uh, you know, I have no doubt that Moss will continue to be fast. He's he's really come into his own with, with driving. Um and he was fast at Gingerman. But if you watch his in-car, he, uh, he fights the car a lot during the lap, and I think there's more there. Yeah, and I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, doubting anything about that, but I think if that car was made a little tiny bit more neutral chassis setup, uh, I think that it would be e- easier to drive fast right away. Um, and as you said about the gearing, I think that... In my opinion, we kind of have a theory about the gearing and time attack and stuff like that. And these intermediate type tracks like a Gingerman, um, you know, or a place kind of like that length, I believe that those tracks for the normal power band of a, a kind of a normal car, you know, four-cylinder turbo type of thing, to me that's a three-gear track, a third, fourth, and fifth in a, in a, in a six-speed or a second, third, and fourth in a five-speed. Sure. With gearing kind of optimized. And then I believe that a Road Atlanta or a Road America is a four-gear track. So, you know, uh, in a six-speed, a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, yep. five-speed, second, third, fourth, fifth. Um, and I think that the fact that he has to keep on using that second or that sixth gear... Um, Costs so much time. I think that... I think that there's... Yeah. I think that it'll be interesting to see kind of as they, they keep going with that car, how fast it's going to go and how fast all the cars are going to go. Because I, I think Jackie went super fast with... Uh, you know, one of his laps with no boost coming out of the last corner and still went a really fast lap time. So and, I have uh, uh, I have the benefit of, of having most of the drivers trust me enough to share their data with me without uh, giving it to everybody else. Um, not that they aren't happy to share it because most of them are. But uh, if you look on the back straight um, 10 to 11 between Jackie and uh, Alex, they're both insanely fast. But... 
uh, Jackie's graph is, is speed versus distance trace is completely smooth, right? The gear changes are almost not noticeable. They don't cost time. And you can see all of the gear changes on Moss's uh, speed versus distance trace. And especially that shift into sixth hurts. Now, I'm kind of a wild man, so I would do things different. And if if it was at all within reason to just turn the RPMs up even more to avoid the sixth gear shift, I would. Now, he's shifting the sixth gear so early there. I'm not sure that that's an option. Um, but I've always been the idea of, well, a couple hundred RPMs probably isn't going to hurt it right now anyways. Well, <laughs> and I think in his case especially, he's still running the like a, a factory K24. So, like... There, I mean, he doesn't have a built valve train or anything. It's just, just running it. And I, I think at the moment, for them, it's a development opportunity to figure out what you can do with an $800 eBay motor. Yep. Yep, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So, so Street GT be, is a little... Well, wait, we didn't, we didn't decide. What's your Street Mod car? So, I... As, I'm, as we've been talking about this, I'm not sure that my street mod class car is legal, and I might have to do a quick change of it. Um, so you'll have to, to inform me of this, because I know you know all this stuff. Is a mixed manufacturer engine swap allowed in street mod? I, hmm, let me, let me, let me, let me double check. Because, I mean, I've been working on rules for four years now, and every year we kind of revisit it. So it's, it's difficult to, like, remember if, oh, was that a rule two years ago? Is it still a rule? Um, let's see. I think you can do a mixed manufacturer swap. Uh, let's see, street. Up to a certain number of cylinders, right? I believe that's right. Chassis arrow engine. Um, Mixed manufacturer swaps are permitted, but only plus or minus two cylinders from OEM. And a turbo is allowed still. It is. So my car is legal then. Okay. So it does say um, you cannot use an NA V8 swap in addition to aftermarket forced induction. So you couldn't put a Corvette motor into a street mod car and turbocharge it. No problem. Not interested in that, anyways. Okay. Um, actually, so you could put, but I think in a in an F in an RX-7, you can only go up those certain amount of cylinders. So you're only allowed a six-cylinder in an RX-7. Right? OEM rotary cars are only allowed up to six cylinders if swapped. Yeah. So then my 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 choice is still the same, and it would be a K24 turbo FTRX-7. And before I even started with any of the chassis builds, I would sit back and look at that car for a month and figure out every single spot that we could take weight out of that car while still being street mod legal. And I would want about a approximately a 2,400 pound or or hopefully even lighter FDRX7 K24 turbo. Um, and uh, and you'd probably I make 600 ish, which would put yeah, you would kind of in in the territory. I would want uh, I would want to make seven, and I would only want it in the top years. And then I would want to make it like, you know, if we were using a six-speed, for example, I'd want five hundred and third, or you know, four seventy-five and third, um, six hundred and fourth, seven hundred and fifty-sixth, and kill mode. Because we found in the Integra that um, eight hundred is where you start to seemingly struggle a little bit more. And they seem to be actually quite contented about 700 wheel. Okay, but so 700 wheel. Tell me about the build on an engine for 700 wheel. Are we talking about sleeved motors and like like fully no, built you're motors? Talking about, you're talking about a sleeve block uh, with a stock crank with off-the-shelf rods and pistons. Um, and uh, we use a ported head, but I think for that 700 number, you can do it without a ported head. Uh, stock cams. And springs and springs and retainers. So you're looking at, you know, sleeve block, rods and pistons, springs and retainers. And, and if you're paying uh, you're if you're paying retail on a built motor like that, what would that cost? If you're having an engine builder build it for you, or if you're buying the parts and having the block machine and assembling it yourself. Well, I, I guess uh, I don't know anyone that can sleeve their own block. So uh, what what does that cost? <laughs> no, no. I, but I mean, like, are you are you ordering a sleeved block, sleeved and board? 
and doing the entire engine assembly on yourself. Sure, because of course, you know, like if you buy an engine directly from Four Piston, they make incredible setups, but they're also, um, they're a premium product. Yeah, so I think that you'd be for sure under 10K um, for that 700 wheel horsepower engine um, if you're building it yourself. And I think potentially, I mean, uh, if you consider the core is a thousand bucks, let's say, and your, uh, I don't know, thousand bucks in sleeves or something like that. So two grand, rods and pistons, another, I don't know, thousand bucks or so, valve train, not even a thousand, that's four. Uh, this yeah, you're probably seven or eight. Yeah. Probably, probably eight. Probably eight with head studs, head gaskets, and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, but when you think of, like, you know, what you'd spend on a super motor or something like that to do that, I'm sure, you know, you know it's getting there. Be yeah. Four, and you're probably going to be considering dry sumps and things like that, whereas with this, you're not. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So that, I guess you'd probably use that BMW, uh, the KV Auto BMW Trans for it. Um, oh, yeah, because those are super love, cheap, right? I'm, yeah, I'm not in love with the gearing. And, and um, actually, probably, you know what I would do is I think that they make, I don't know if they do it or if someone else do it, but someone makes an adapter to use one of the six-speed BMW transmissions. So that would be what I would use. I would try to, I would try to figure out how I could use one of that same generation, but the six-speed. I think it might be a different bell housing adapter. I'm not positive. It might be the same. I forget what's different. But um, I know uh, I know that a few people have done that. So I would want to use the six-speed. It's a bit more for the gearbox, but so be it. Um, and I would look, you know, we've already established that the, the horsepower would be, or the sorry, the weight would be really low. The horsepower would be really high. The one cool thing about those cars is you don't need to flare them. Those cars fit 285s under stock fenders, no problem at all. They I think that's 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 a big thing. Um, actually, I, I wanna I do want to go back on this a little bit, uh, only because it seems so easy. Um, yeah. I I I think that there is a Corvette probably for every class, but you've heard me talk about it on the show before. We should not ignore the TTRS and what it can do. I the, agree. The newest TTRS the is the craziest car that I've ever seen produced ever. There's so much potential there, and it's just so easy. The problem that you're going to get into that car is is the problem that I think that Jackie will uh, encounter with the Supra as he continues going, and I think that he will overcome it because he's an amazing driver, and they, they seem to really know how to get speed out of that car. But when you have to carry around 1,000 pounds more on the same width tire as someone else, it's going to be difficult. You're right. No matter how good you are, no matter how good your shocks are, no matter how good any of that is, you know, if you're going to make similar or less power than, let's say that, you know, you were talking about that TTRS, and let's say it was going to make 600 wheel or something like that, because they probably start to get expensive when you go much over that. Not really. But now you're. So I think it's I think it's around seven hundred that they need to do a little bit more work, and in this case, a little okay, bit so more is like an off-the-shelf turbo kit that's like five grand will like uncork the car to the point where I think it can make almost seven hundred. But at some point, you're going to start having to do like uh, uh, like Apex motoring up here does a lot of GTR and Audi RS3 and GTRS stuff, and. At like I think around that 700 mark, they're starting to talk about like a Dodson gearbox, and the problem is, is it's real. Those cars are really inexpensive to make power up until that point. But when you start talking about doing a Dodson gearbox for one of those things, yeah, that graph looks like coronavirus in March. <laughs> yeah, like it's going along kind of not too bad, not too bad, not too bad, and then it's like, oh, that was 20 grand for a gearbox. That's cool. Not at all. Yeah, that that would be crappy. Um, so, you know, whereas if you look at that, let's say BMW gearbox or whatever, where they, you know, they're pretty good at that power level, and if it breaks, you're not upset because it broke a twenty thousand dollar gearbox. You're like, oh well, I'll get another one for. I think those six speeds are like a grand versus two hundred fifty. But even if it's a grand, you're probably not going to go through the hassle of upgrading a bunch of stuff if they last last for a while. You're going to say, well. 
It's a grand. It lasts six months. I'm just going to go buy another one. So uh, I think in all of this, the recurring theme, we have a similar attitude, is you, if, you're, if you're starting to think about competing in time attack, not just grid life, but time attack in general, um, there, there are two paths you can go down, right? You can first build the car you want to build and have fun with it and try and, you know, go faster than you've ever gone before. Uh, the other path is to build the car that will maybe not bring you the most joy, but will be the fastest. And I think the route to fastest consistently is starting with the, one of the lightest chassis you can find. Lightest chassis and ease of big, tall tire. Not even just wide, tall, wide tire, but tall tire, right? So that FDRX7, you can fit a 25-inch tall tire fairly easily. That's not the 28 that I'd want to put on the Corvette for Unlimited, but it's wide enough to get you into a 285, 3018, you know, with probably just a rolled lift in the back type of thing, right? Sure. The correct offset wheel. If you um, compare that, like I, a Lotus Elise by comparison is uh, very light, but as far as I know, you cannot fit a big tire under a Lotus Elise very easily. I think I think it's a big struggle, and I think that when you get into a car like that, you probably won't want to just put an eBay flare on it. And if you start looking into a wide fender or something like that, you know the the, the cost of it starts going up, you know, crazy. It starts getting huge money. Yep, and you're you're still on a short narrow wheelbase, and it's. You need to do a lot, I think. And I've just always noticed, in my opinion, watching, uh, there's certain chassis that are just loose. They just seem to really tend to oversteer a lot. And that makes them fun, and that can make them fast, but it doesn't always make them predictable. Sure. And I had it at 2000, and it was a great, fun car. I really enjoyed tracking it. But I really struggled with that predictable nature of it. And I know that you can tune it out, but you have to you know, be really you know, working at it to really tune that out and still have max grip without a chassis that's very loose. And I know Andy and those guys, they know those things inside out and backwards. Um, but I look at an FDRX7, and I know some people that have tracked them and, and tracked them with some decent success, uh, and they just look like a naturally, you know, neutral car while still having great, you know, grip characteristics. So I think that would be one of the things that if you're wanting to put down 700 wheel horsepower, um, that would be, you know, a big thing. You want to be able to, to me, I'd be willing to give up a couple of miles an hour of minimum speed to have the loosest setup so I could just put that power down and let it eat out of those low speed corners. Because to me that, um, you know, at a lot of the tracks we run, that could be more important. So, okay. Yeah, I think FDRX7, you'd also get some uh, great points for having a good looking car. I don't think there's any... There aren't many cars in the in the field that look as good as Ben Mitch's car does. No, and and, and one of the cars when we talk FDRX7s is uh, a name uh, a person that used to run in CSCS. Um, he's a retired guy now, and he's retired from racing. But his name is Jim Kuchki, and uh, he's a he's done a lot of rotary work for other guys and stuff like that locally. And he had a black. Uh, FDRX7 uh, with black with polished lip, uh, CCW classics. Uh, he always ran a 285 slick on it under stock fenders, and it had a basic wing and splitter. And it, it was a it was a rotary still because he was a hardcore rotary guy. Uh, but that car was always stunning, and you know it was just it only ever had a few little white graphics on a black car, and that thing was just fantastic. And I always. When anytime the conversation of an FDRX7 comes up, I picture that car. And I actually had the chance to buy that car for a very good price as a roller. And I didn't, and I should have, because that was uh, that was one heck of a car. And I think that we could have done great things with it. But, you know, going down that road as well would have been an expensive road. And uh, him being such a hardcore rotary guy would have been upset if I would have been sure. swapped it or swapped it. So he might have not wanted to give me as good of a deal if you would have known what I was planning on doing with it. So, I, I think I agree with you. FD and an in-street mod would be great to see. Um, what about Street GT? Which you know is uh, less mods, but usually big, heavy, you know, GT-type race cars. Um, the price cap, I believe, for this year is 110 
Um, I'm, I'm guessing there's a portion that might fit there, but I don't know. I don't know that you could outperform, um, like a, a GT 500 Mustang with a bunch of tire underneath it. How much, uh, how much does a C8 Z06 cost? Do you think? C, uh, I don't know. The, the Z06 is from C7. I thought were around a hundred. So if that fits under that cap, then to me that's game over for everyone. But um, you know, I, I I actually have a hard time believing um, that the C7 was demonstrably faster than the C6. I, I see a lot more C6s running around the track than I do C7s. I agree, and 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 I'm not, and I don't doubt that because I believe that. Um, a C7 got a power bump, but it got a big weight bump, too. And, again, a C7 was one of those cars, like we were talking about with the S2000. It just seems like such a naturally loose car. Like, I've, I've ridden one, I've seen them drive, and they seem like you're always fighting that chronic oversteer. Um, and I think that if you can tune that out, which I think they've kind of done with the C8, I think it's still, from what I've heard, a bit pushy, but as I'm sure it'll be much better. Um, with the Z06, I think that that could be a special car when it finally arrives. I mean, when you look at what a C5, C6, and C7 have been, and how fast they have been, and, you know, still kind of based on that front-engine rear-wheel drive, I think this C8, Z06 is going to be next level. I really so what do you think? Um, that I think that'll be... Uh, we'll, we will learn more as that car becomes more available, but... What what's on the market today that you think would be a great fit? Uh, is there a limit for tire width? Is it three fifteen or something like it's, that? I forget. I what think that it's tire the is. it's three fifteen or the largest that is on any particular model. I think so. Like, um, you know, if if Viper had three fifty five or something, um, let's not use Viper because it would not be allowed. But you know what I mean? Like, if, if a really wide tire was available as an option, you're allowed to use that tire. Um, and is a... I wonder what something like a... Such a tough... That one... I, I honestly have to... I, I have to say that I haven't been as uh, mentally invested in Street GT as I have in the other class. I think it's a great class for Gridlight, but I don't, I've never... When we talked about this today, I just thought about the four classes. I so Street GT is growing. I think we're going to have stronger competition there than we did last year because last year it was brand new. Um, but a few guys who I know are very fast are committed to building that class up because there was there was good competition already um, at Gingerman. And how are you policing, or is it against the rules to have a built NA motor in Street GT? Yes, it is. But it's a hard thing to police, I guess, right? That's true. Yeah, that's true. The short answer is I'm not sure how to police that. We would hope that competitors value the... Um, they, w they would be honorable enough to comply with the rules in that way. Yeah. So I'm not... Uh, I'm not sure what the... Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is for that class. Maybe a C6 Z06... I assume a Viper ACR was too expensive. Um, it's for a maximum of eight cylinders. So a Viper ACR, of course, would be competitive in track mod, and so that's where it belongs. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, probably a C6 Z06 with the cars that are available right now, I have to think. Yeah. But remember, no engine work of any kind, which means no cams either. And, of course, that oh, car in particular opens up a lot with cams. Yeah, but people have made big power on the stock cam and stuff like that. If you're allowed headers and exhaust and flash and stuff like that, um, you're still going to make over 500 wheel horsepower. And that's such a light car with such a great power band and such good factory aero um, and all that kind of thing that I think that... Uh, I think that I would stick. I, I mean, maybe... Are you allowed suspension stuff in that class? I, I believe you are, in the same way that um, you are for street class, which I believe is a single adjustable coilover. So, you know what? I think that... 
But are are V eight supercharged allowed? Um, no force no. Stock I'm looking. Let's see. Because I was going to say C seven zero six. All right, we're recording again. So I, uh, we had a little glitch on the board, which is sad, but we concluded with uh, C6Z06 for Street GT. Now the final class is Street Class, and there's been, there's been some doors that have been uh, available for a while, but just recently been opened up. Um, it does seem like there is power potential in some of those turbo cars, uh, Subarus and Evos. Um, available within the rules. Um, but I still think that an NA Honda that's light can do really well. If, if you, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would probably come to the next real life event where the border was open with the nastiest K27 CRX that, that the world maybe has ever seen or a limited class, like such a limited class like that. I think that there is, so much potential to go blisteringly fast in an NA, maybe K27, maybe not, but either way, like close to 400 wheel horsepower, K24, CRX, like an 88 HF, the lightest model, big flares, 285, 3018 in the front, 225, 45, 17 in the back. Um, and, you know, probably somewhere around, 1,850 pounds or something like that. I think you could probably do that within the rules. Um, a big, like, Tech 13-inch kit or something like that for the front. Um, and actually, probably not that. Probably my C43 kit that we ran on the Integra because it's so light and to try to keep the light the weight down. Uh, I think that that car would come out and it would just murder. Probably. Like, uh, <laughs> But what, what's the common thread in all of this? Light. Yep. Yeah. So uh, this is like an advertisement for old cars. <laughs> I think that you can do cool things with these newer cars, but I think as those older cars continue their their, their development, I think that those cars are going to get harder and harder to get. And I think as you continue with the development of a newer, heavier car, um, I think it's going to be harder to find the speed. Whereas with the older car, I think almost that speed is going to be not easier, but still kind of linear. Sure. Whereas well, I think a, a challenge within street power. class is that the ideal car probably varies from track to track, right? Like yeah. if, if you are talking about Road Atlanta as an example, I would say that a bigger, you know, the, the uh, S209 turbo swapped uh, STI is certainly better than... Uh, your CRX, probably. I would I would disagree because a 380-wheel horsepower sub-2,000-pound CRX is a car that goes uh, okay. 130 miles an hour in a quarter mile. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that is just, uh, I you know, it's yes, it's 40 horsepower less than, than the S209 turbo car, but it's, 1,500 pounds lighter or something like that, probably. That is so much. And three sizes wider front tire. Yeah, the uh, the big thing for me when I was driving was thinking about uh, my Evo, which was, you know, no slouch on power, but I was comparing its, uh, its weight, you know, being, I don't know, 33, 3,400 with driver compared to an S2000 with, a similar driver. Um, it's it's hard to beat like eight hundred pounds of weight. Eight hundred's a lot. Yeah, and then fifteen hundred is really a lot. Yep. Like you're not you're, you're not towing. Um, you know, uh, it's like you're. It would be like the CRX towing the K Swift. Like <laughs> yeah. that would be like what would it be like going against some of the Subarus and Evos. Yeah, you're right. Imagine that you're out there towing the K-Swift around the track. That's crazy. That's crazy. And yeah, and yes, that motor would be expensive, but a lot of these, you know, Honda Honda engine builders like JBR and Four Piston guys like this, 
they have that recipe pretty figured out. Four Piston builds a lot of motors um, for midgets, like dirt racing midgets. Yep. And they're getting really, really good, um, you know, amount of time out of one of those motors. And they're revving them way up high. They're making a lot of power. And they have the craziest, broadest power bands in those cars. They're ridiculous how broad the power bands are. I would really, really like to do a show with the guys from Four Piston. And they're not even, like, that far from here. They're on the other side of Indianapolis. Um, But I've just not made a big push to try and talk to them because they are – they're good. Yeah, these guys, they're all, they have this stuff pretty figured out. It probably wouldn't be a podcast that I would be on because they probably don't appreciate that uh, I'm now sponsored by their main competition. Oh, no. Um, but, <laughs> Who's their main just, competition? Uh, uh, well, probably JBR Engines or Preuntu in the East Coast. Uh, but JBR Engines are in Florida. They've been doing it forever. It's a father-son team there. Um, and up until a couple of months ago, they had the, all motor, uh, front wheel drive, rec- like world record, I guess, um, which was 862, 162 or 163 miles per hour, um, and that was still in a stock chassis EG Honda Civic. That's silly. And that was probably 625 to 640 wheel horsepower, I would guess. That's so silly. From what I've what I've seen them post and stuff like that. So. Uh, and the rumor is that some cars have made closer to 700 wheel on naturally aspirated. That makes now. no sense. So, James, uh, we've been on the phone for like the 45 minutes. Uh, I think we should do another one of these, but uh, I probably should go hold a baby. Go hold the baby, Abe. Congratulations. Right. We haven't talked on the phone. Congratulations on the baby. I'm so happy for you guys. Well, thank you. It's a lovely time right now. Uh, when they start, uh, when they start doing more, I feel like there's sometimes a bit less screaming at the start. You got to really enjoy the less screaming. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind. So I'm going to play us out here and then uh, hang up, or I will. I'll play us out and then we can we can finish. Sounds See you great. later, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits of Grid Live to say hello. 